0: Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes.
1: We have a golden doodle at our house and he wanders away from our home frequently, but he's smart. His name's Roscoe, and because Roscoe's smart, he is able to make his way back home. Sometimes he doesn't come back home, though, because he's really smart. He goes to Brian and Mariana's house, friends of ours who live on the next street, and the reason he's smart to go there is because Brian and Mariana watch him for us at times, and Mariana feeds him bison. Because we live in Orange County, evidently we take really good care of our dogs here, and Roscoe loves going to Brian and Mariana's house. In fact, I tell our kids, and they don't like when I say this, that I think he would prefer to live with them. And so at times when we can't find Roscoe, we are wise to assume he's made his way to their house. He's figured out how to go to the next street and, and stand from their yard and bark till he gets some bison. Sometimes he comes back home, sometimes he goes there But Roscoe's smart. Dogs are known as being smart. And because dogs are smart, we like to, if we compare ourselves to animals, we like to think of ourselves as dogs. There are 15 Division I universities with the mascot of a bulldog. There are personality tests online where you can figure out what your dog personality is. We even call ourselves dogs at times. What's up, dog? Dog, what's up? What's up? How you doing, dog? We call ourselves dogs. What we don't call ourselves is sheep. And you won't see any universities with sheep as the mascot because sheep are not known as being smart and savvy at all. And the scripture actually compares us, those of us who are Christ followers, compares us to sheep, not to dogs. And the scripture compares us to sheep not to devalue us, but to remind us that we have wandered from home and we can't get back on our own. We can't make it home. We can't make it back to our loving and gracious Father. We need someone here to come shepherd us. And the scripture calls Jesus the chief shepherd who came here for us to give his life for us. We are now his sheep because he has indeed rescued us. We are finishing up this weekend our study in First Peter. And Peter is going to write us as sheep in this last chapter, First Peter chapter 5. And the reason he's doing this is because Peter was commanded by Jesus to feed his sheep, to feed the sheep of Jesus, which is us. And so Peter is going to give us some really incredible instructions in First Peter chapter 5. And so Let's read the word of the Lord together and see what Peter has for us as we wrap up this incredible study. Verse one, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock. So, So we're sheep, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So here, Peter's writing to the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church. They are called shepherds. Now, Jesus is the chief shepherd, but in the church, God has set aside leaders, elders to shepherd God's people. Now, this is why it's so important for us to be in a church because we need to be shepherded. I need it. I need people who will care for me, pray for me, encourage me, teach me, and you do as well, which I'm so glad you are here today to be shepherded. And so Peter is writing to the shepherd's saying, hey, let's, he's writing to people like me saying, listen, let's love people well. Let's not do this for money. Let's not do this for compulsion. Let's do this because of Jesus and because Jesus has rescued us. Let's do this for the right reasons. And so in every generation, you'll, you'll hear people say things like, I love Jesus, I just don't wanna love the church. But the New Testament, Jesus himself, they don't make that distinction. The writers in the New Testament encourage us to, yes, we must love Jesus, but because we live in a world with suffering, because we live in a world we're gonna see in a moment where Satan prowls around wanting to destroy us, we need to be in community. We need to be shepherded. And that's why Peter's writing to the shepherd, saying, hey, let's shepherd people well. There's suffering in this world, and we'll see now, there's also Satan in this world who's seeking to destroy people. So let's keep reading. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. To him be the dominion forever, amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, that's the church who is in Rome, who he's calling Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And in this passage, If you had to sum up 1 Peter 5, you could say that Peter is closing this incredible letter by encouraging us to resist Satan and run to shepherds. Resist the devil, run to shepherds. Now we're tempted to do the opposite. We're tempted to resist shepherds and actually run to evil. But Peter wants us to be cared for, to be shepherded, but to resist Satan. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he said this: Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now, Americans are divided on this verse. They're divided on if Satan is real. All of us would likely agree that evil is in the world. I mean, you don't have to live long at all to recognize that there's evil all around us. The longer we live, in fact, the more we recognize that we live in a world where there's evil and evil people. But according to a study by the Barner Research Group, half of Americans believe that Satan is just a symbol of evil and not actually a, a, a living being. But the scripture makes it really clear that Satan is not merely a symbol of evil, but Satan is a living being. Peter says he's prowling around right now and he's looking for anyone that he can devour. Jesus said of Satan that he is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The scripture says of Satan that he is a liar. He's constantly lying about us. He's the one who hurls insults. He's the accuser of brothers and sisters in Christ. He is evil. He is our enemy and he's powerful and strong. Peter says he's he's a lion. He can prowl around in a savvy and a strategic way and he's ready to pounce on prey and destroy. And so 1 Peter 5 gives us a sense that our adversary, Satan is real and desires to destroy and he's powerful, but he's not, I really want you to listen and get this, He's not as powerful as God. It's not as if God and Satan are equals and Satan is bad and God is good. And there's this war between evil and good and and maybe the good will prosper in the end. That is not at all what the scripture is teaching. Satan is not an equal of God. God has no equal. He is the creator. Satan is actually a created being. When you study the Old Testament, you see Satan began as an angel in heaven, but he wanted to be like God. He tried to overthrow God. And so God kicked him out of heaven, punted him out of heaven like a football, and his destruction is assured. We're going to study this in January. We're going to see the end of Satan. But Satan right now prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, but he's not an equal of God. Jesus is the one who rules and reigns over everything. For a short time in this life, Satan is the little G God of this world who can prowl around, but his time here in that powerful position is limited because ultimately everything will bow down before Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Satan, he's real and I hate him because he seeks to devour me. He seeks to devour you. He seeks to destroy people I love. He lies to us, lies about us. I hate him. We had a funny conversation this summer as a family. On vacation, we were at a lake together. And I remembered uh, uh, when I was a child that the first time I cursed aloud was about Satan. I, I think I was trying to put my mom in an ethical dilemma by which would she prefer, me to have accurate theology or me to curse? And so I, I said this one day, I just said, Satan is an ass. I said that to my mom and she was like, whoa. And she, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you correct your child? He said an accurate theological statement. And so my mom said, I loved her response. She said, yes, he is. And so I said it again and again. Over and over again, and finally my mom stepped in and said, Eric, you are enjoying saying that more than you are enjoying the truth behind it, and so stop saying it, you can't say it anymore. So that's a memory I have of the, the first time I remember cursing. So I was telling this to my daughters, and one of my daughters who is, I mean, super respectful and, and um, cautious and, and wanting to obey mom and dad, she says, Daddy, can, can I can I say that? And I said, I said, yeah. I mean, I don't want you to make a habit of it, but if you want to, if you want to say it right now, you, you can. She said, daddy, are you sure? I don't want to get in trouble. I said, no, you go ahead. You, you can say it. Are you sure? I mean, she is going to say it, but sheepishly approaching it. And so she repeats me. She says the same thing I said. And half a second later, my other daughter blurted out a series of expletives. Satan is a Follow, I mean, my mind was blown. She repeated every single curse word that she learned from your kids. I mean, that's what went down. And I, we just died laughing and like the sins of the father repeated in my daughter. Um, that's what took place. But it's true. Satan is all of those things. Satan wants to ruin us and destroy us. So we must recognize that Satan is real But there's really two errors when we think about the enemy, Satan. One is to disregard him completely. The other is to think too highly of him. C.S. Lewis actually wrote that. Lewis said, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The devils are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. In other words, Satan and the demons would love if you constantly thought about them or would love if you never thought about them at all. Satan is very real, but we must be careful that we don't give him too much credit. Some of the struggles we have in our life is not because of Satan, it's because of us and our own sinfulness, our own foolishness. And we must be careful. We don't give credit to Satan for things he didn't do. So if you were a jerk this last week at work, you can't blame that on Satan. That was you being a jerk. If you're a a teenager and this week you get a D on a test as you go back to school and you don't study at all, you should not come home and be like, the devil, the devil made me get a D. The devil did not make you get a D. You didn't study. You didn't study, don't give Satan too much credit. At the same time, Satan, because he prowls around like a roaring lion, we must understand that he is real. And lions who are in the wilderness, who in this moment are prowling around looking for their prey, they would love it if their prey did not think they were real. And so Satan is real, he's not co-equal with God. God's ultimately the one who has power and control So we don't need to fear the enemy. We don't need to fear Satan, but we should be wise and resist him. And so how do we do that? So Peter gives us three thoughts in this passage on we are to run to shepherds and we are to resist the devil. So number one, here's how we do that. We are to humble ourselves. So number one, humble yourself. Satan, as he prowls around, he's looking for those of us who are filled with pride. When Satan's prowling meets our pride, we are set up for a disaster. Let me say that again. Satan is prowling around looking for someone to devour. And when his prowling meets your pride, you are set up for a disaster. Peter encourages us to humble ourselves, to not be filled with pride. And the reason Peter can say this with such authority is he knows firsthand the pain of being filled with pride as Satan prowls around. I mean, this is exactly what led to Peter denying Jesus. Satan's prowling met Peter's pride and it led to his downfall. If you um, haven't seen this story before, it is fascinating. It's in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus is going to go to the cross to die for us. And he has an interaction with Peter where he he tells Peter that Satan has asked God if he could mess with Peter. See, Satan has to get permission from God because Satan ultimately is subject to God. And Jesus lets Peter know that this is happening. In fact, notice this interaction that Jesus and Peter have. And I want you to see the pride of Peter meeting the prowling of Satan. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now notice Peter's response. Lord, he told him, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He, he essentially corrects Jesus, Peter does. He says, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fall. No way, I will go with you to the death. This is what Jesus says in response. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. And Peter indeed does deny that he even knows Jesus. But there's something really fascinating about this passage. Notice what Jesus calls Peter. When you study the gospels, you see that Peter became Peter after Jesus changed his name. He was first Simon and Jesus changed him. That's what Jesus does to us. Jesus changes us. He makes us brand new. He takes our old life, our shame, our sin. He gets rid of that. And he makes us brand new, forgiven and free people. And he did this to Simon. He changed Simon to Peter. He even gave him a new name. He started calling him Peter, which means rock, You're the rock. You used to be Simon, but that's your old life. Now you are Peter. But notice in the verses we just read, when Jesus speaks to him, he doesn't call him Peter. He actually calls him by his old name. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. see, Satan always wants to attack at the places where we are in our old life when we are forgetting who we really are, when we are not walking in our new identity as children, as sons and daughters of God. So Satan is attacking Peter in his old life and in, in who he used to be. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And so Peter now writes and says, we have to humble ourselves. Satan attacked Peter at his old life, and at the moment when he was filled with pride, when he thought he could conquer everything on his own. And so now, years later, with tenderness, I mean, Peter's probably thinking back to when he was destroyed by the enemy who devours. And he is saying, here's the the key. You have to be humble. You can't be like I was and filled with pride, like you can conquer everything on your own. And so Peter writes this in verse verse five and six, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Clothe yourselves with humility. The situation always determines the outfit that you wear. So if you go to the gym, you wear an outfit. If you go to the beach, you wear something completely different. If you go to the office, you wear a different outfit. If you're working from home, you wear your work sweatpants. The situation determines what you wear, but every situation requires that we wear humility, Peter says. Clothe yourself. He basically says, put on humility. In the morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to put clothes on. Put on humility. Clothe yourselves with Humility, and how do you do that? How do you actually clothe yourself with humility? You remind yourself that everything you have, the foods you eat, the air you're breathing, the clothes you're putting on physically, the car you're getting into, the TV you're watching, that all of it, a gift from God, not something that you put together with your own hands, but all of this came as a gift from the hand of God to you. So that's how you clothe yourself with humility. You remind yourself all of this is a gift. You remind yourself that I cannot stand in my own effort before this holy God. I can't pull off this, own, this life in my own ingenuity, and in my own goodness. I need Jesus to hold me up and to walk with me. You remind yourself that the only reason you are forgiven is, is because of the goodness and the work of Jesus. It's not because of your goodness and your work. It's because of his goodness and his work for you on the cross. You clothe yourself with humility. You remind yourself that everything you have from your salvation to the food you're gonna eat today, all a gift, from God. Peter says, this is how you're going to resist the enemy. Run to shepherds, resist Satan, and you do that by clothing yourself with humility. That's number one. Number two, you hurl your cares on Christ. You know, one of the most prideful things we do is we hold on to our burdens and to our cares. Because when we hold on to our burdens and our cares, we are essentially saying, I can fix this. I have the the power and the ability to fix and solve all the problems in my life. And so Peter says, verse six, humble yourself. And then verse seven, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. It, It takes humility to cast your cares on Jesus. To to say, I I am not gonna think I can fix everything in my life. It takes humility to say, Jesus, I'm gonna hurl these cares, these burdens to you. I'm gonna cast these to you. And I love this verse, verse seven, because God could use a multitude of his attributes or of his characteristics to encourage us to give our burdens to him. For example, he could say, cast your cares on me because I'm sovereign. And that would make sense. Yes, I'll cast my cares to you, God, because you're the one who knows everything anyway. And so why wouldn't I cast my cares to you? But that's not what verse seven says. Or cast your cares to him because he has the power to fix it. That's true, he does, but this isn't what the verse says. God could encourage us and command us to cast our cares to him and appeal to a myriad of his characteristics, but notice what he appeals to. It's his care for us. It's his love for us. He says, you cast your cares on me because I care for you. I care for you. You can release all of your burdens. You don't have to, carry those and walk through life carrying all of your struggles and your trials. I care for you. Yes, he's powerful. Yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he's holy. But he's actually saying, cast your cares to me because I love you so much because I care so deeply for you. Now, casting our cares, that's easier said than done. You ever seen a toddler try to cast the ball for the first time? You'll, maybe you have a toddler at your house right now and you'll say, hey, throw the ball and the toddler will take the ball and doesn't let go, doesn't let go. Throw it here, come on, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, the toddler doesn't let go. Some of us are living today like spiritual toddlers. We are saying, God, I know you care for me I know you're powerful. I know you're sovereign and we hold on. We hold on to our burdens. We hold on to our cares. Maybe, maybe we come to church and we watch Mariners online or at one of the congregations right now. And, and you're here and you walked in with a burden and you so badly want to leave that burden behind and during worship, during singing, and you're not letting go. It's hard to let go. This verse though is saying, because he cares for you, you can cast your cares to him. I I don't always do great at letting go of casting my cares. And here's what my prayers have been like lately as I go to bed and this this, this has been a crazy season, hasn't it? I mean, you right now, are living through a global pandemic and all of the implications of that. You are living through a challenging season in all of our lives. There are difficulties and struggles that we have. And so I'm assuming that for many of you, you go to sleep like I have gone to sleep or I've tried to go to sleep many times. Like you lay down and your mind is filled with all of the things, all of the burdens, all of the struggles. And so my prayer, how God has grown me in this season has been, God, I want to release this to you, but I'm having a hard time letting go. God, will you pry my hands open and give me the grace and give me the faith to let this go? God, I'm gonna go to sleep right now. And as I go to sleep, I'm letting go. I'm letting go because God, you care for me and God, you never sleep or slumber. The God of Israel never sleeps or slumbers. And so in faith, I'm gonna go to sleep and release this to you. And while I'm sleeping, you're going to be working on behalf of your son. And so you can cast your cares on him. You can, because he cares for you. Actually, before we get to our last point, right where you are, maybe you wanna open your hands right now and pray something like this. Dad, Father, unpeel my fingers from my burdens. Give me the faith to cast my cares on you because you care for me. I release to you. I don't wanna hold on. I release to you because you care for me. Amen. All right, third point. Satan is prowling around like a lion seeking to devour. And number three, you can hold your ground. So we live in a world where we struggle with sin, but we don't have to give in to temptation. We live in a world where Satan wants to destroy, but we don't have to give in. We can draw a line in the sand and we can commit to hold our ground. This is what Peter writes in The next verse, he says in verse nine, resist him, resist the devil, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. And this is encouraging. So Peter's saying, hey, you're not the only one who's going through a messy divorce. You're not the only one who has that doctor's prognosis. You're not the only one who's lived through a global pandemic. You're not the only one who's facing persecution at work. You're not the only one who's going through job loss. Yes, those things are so painful and it's brutal in a world filled with crooked lines and lots of suffering, but you can hold on to the faith. You can resist the devil. You're not alone. You're not alone. Others go through the same suffering, and you're not alone because Jesus walks with you in the middle of your suffering. So, in the middle of your struggles, in the middle of a world with all kinds of crooked lines, draw a line in the sand and resist the devil. And you can ultimately do that because though Satan is a prowling lion looking for someone to devour, The scripture says there's another lion. And this lion has a much louder roar. And this lion is the conquering king. And this lion is the one who rules and reigns over everything. Jesus in the scripture, in the last book of the Bible is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at this, Revelation five, verse five. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. Jesus has conquered. He conquered the grave when he rose again from the dead. He conquered our sin on the cross. And one day he rules and reigns over everything when he returns and he kicks Satan to the curb throughout all of eternity. Jesus is the one who conquers all. He is the ultimate lion and because of Jesus, The lion of Satan will be silenced. He will be crushed. His head will be crushed under foot of Jesus, our King rules and reigns for all time. And because of that, we can draw a line in the sand and we can resist the enemy now. Run to being shepherded, cared for, and resist the devil. Resist the devil by putting on humility, by casting your cares before Jesus, and by holding your ground. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Mariners weekend message podcast. To support the ministry of Mariners Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariners app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.